0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the 2018 Code Media Conference.
1: Jack, you're CEO of Patreon? Yeah. Susie, you make a living on Patreon. Yeah, man. But I know you as the person who was on Road Rules Challenge.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> I was a very happy <laughs> consumer of that show. It was great. Um, but I aged out. Actually, I was too old when I, when I was watching it, frankly.
0: It's still on, though.
1: Um, Jack. Describe what, what Patreon is.
2: Yeah, so Patreon is a membership platform that makes it really easy for artists and creators to get paid. Um, it's basically a, a mechanism that allows creators to accept five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, fifty bucks a month. Some patrons are paying a hundred or a thousand bucks a month um, to become a, a member of a creator. They basically run their own little membership business.
1: Basically, you're allowing subscriptions to people like Susie.
2: Yeah, exactly. We think of it as membership as opposed to a subscription, yeah. but yeah. How many? How many? Uh, how many people are making a living on Patreon? Yeah, so we've got over fifty thousand creators that have are making salaries on Patreon, and over a million paying patrons who have active subscription pledges.
1: And last year, you did what? One hundred and fifty million? More than that?
2: Yep, yeah, one hundred fifty million.
1: And this year, you got a projection?
2: Uh, no projection yet, but maybe uh, give us a couple months.
1: <laughs> um, we've talked a couple times, and and you're great to talk to. But I wanted to make sure that we had someone who actually makes a living doing what you're enabling them to do on the on, on service. And just so you know, these two have not met prior to today?
0: No. Yeah, first time. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, so Susie, you, you, how do you make a living on Patreon?
0: Well, like you said, I was in reality TV for a long time. and So I had an audience that was familiar with me personally, and they felt like they knew me. And then podcasting came along. And along the way, during reality TV, I was getting a PhD in religion which is doubly weird. Why don't you get a
1: PhD in religion?
0: Right. And the religion store wasn't hiring. So I decided I wanted to do a podcast that kind of combined my interests. But I quickly discovered that I had two audiences. I had people that wanted me to be nerdy, talk about brainy stuff. And then I had an audience that was all about MTV. So I kept the nerdy stuff on a traditional podcast platform. And that's still alive and living and has ads, traditional ads, but then all the challenge and reality content I put on Patreon, and the audience came. So rather than splitting my income in half, I doubled it.
1: How did you figure out, I mean, what, what, so you started doing that when? When did you start selling stuff on Patreon?
0: Um, I joined about a year and a half ago, and we've just increased every month, and people that are. In love with the challenge and MTV reality shows, are finding that they can come to our Patreon and get the interviews that they want without the editing and the producing, and they get this exclusive content and they feel like they're part of a little community.
1: Jack, is that is that the Dan's tired? Is that the uh, is that the standard model of Patreon that you've got someone who has an established fan base, they've got a product that people are consuming. They come on and then they sell a new thing, or do they put up essentially a paywall in front of the thing they're already selling?
2: So we've seen both. Um, We've got some folks who are uh, using Patreon as a traditional paywall, but that's not most creators. Most creators. You know, their work is available for free on SoundCloud or YouTube or wherever it is that they're distributing the work. And then they use Patreon as a place for secondary content and member benefits. And whether that's early access or recognition for patrons or windowed content or something like that, a lot of creators are using it uh, for for those sorts of things.
3: I guess my question is, what changed? Because I was an independent creator for a few years, and there was no such subscription model. Everyone just wanted everything for free. Now it seems like you say a million people are happy to pay for it, what what happened?
2: Yeah, pe- people, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even characterize as people are happy to, people want to pay for it. They're like, they can't wait to pay for it. Um, I've been a creator for the last 10 years on YouTube, and one of the most popular comments that always had the, the, the most thumbs up votes on YouTube was, I'm throwing money at the screen, but nothing is happening. Like, fans really want to support the stuff that they love. That's actually just, I think there's this age old thing psychologically about humans where they, they want to feel like a member of the community, they want to support the arts, they want to, uh, you know That was a, a privilege that's been reserved for very few people uh, over the ages. And now sort of anyone can become a patron of the arts. Um, so what, what's changed? I mean, I, I think it's literally just the, the product mechanism, just the, the ability to uh, throw money at the screen and have something actually happen. Um, but the desire has always been there.
1: But it seems like there maybe there's an ideological shift. Like in 2007, when Dan and I were making a website, um, there was a certain part of the internet community that would get mad if you linked to a paywalled site. Um, because they said, well, the stuff shouldn't have a paywall in front of it. And if you link there, I won't go there, and it's bad. It did, did some shift. I mean, it seems like Dan's honestly like there is a shift.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah. Maybe if there is a, it's a, if there is a shift, I think it's the the popularization of the. Uh, the struggle of the ad mechanism and the creator, and how it's it doesn't work. I mean, there's so many creators talking about getting millions of views and getting a two hundred dollars AdSense check at the end of the month. People who are filling basketball stadiums full of fans um, who love and adore their work. Right. This is this is my story too. I've, I've, you know. 500,000 subscribers on YouTube, getting paid 300 bucks a month uh, to deliver music video after music video after music video that cost me hundreds of hours and tens of thousands of dollars, and I get a 200-dollar check for it. Like that's, can I swear? That's fucked. Like that's <laughs> that sucks. I don't know why we all think that that's okay.
1: You're supposed to go make it up on tour. Is the answer? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Right. Or exactly. merch. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense. And I think that story became mainstream. People realized how messed up this mechanism is. People realized that, like, gosh, we, we made the internet, which is a great thing. We solved distribution. This is a great thing. We sort of gave people the ability to talk direct to their fans. This is a great thing. But we broke all the monetization mechanisms along the way of doing that. And that's not a great thing, and we need to fix that. That's become a, a very like mainstream, popular story over the last couple of years. So if there has been something that's changed, I think it's just consumer awareness that uh, that the ad model is non-functional on the individual level for creators.
3: So what do you do for those fans? Do you have a, you know, I know how Patreon works. You have a list of things you do. But what, what are they, and how do they respond to those?
0: I started to realize that I had something valuable that was in my phone, which was the phone numbers of all the cast members that have ever been on these weird shows. And that, that, is, that does sound right. Awful. Yes. it doesn't mean anything to me. These are just people I know. But to people that are really into these shows, the fact that I can call their favorite characters live on the air and they can ask them questions is something of value to somebody that's a super fan.
1: So you created a whole new product because you had an existing product, which you still have, and you made an entirely new thing for an entirely new fan base. Why not take the existing product and either put a paywall there or make another version of it?
0: So I realized that our regular podcast content where we talk about books and documentaries, it's really attractive to advertisers. And our audience is a, a group of millennial women that is, you know, great for advertising. But a show about the challenge, where people basically binge drink for a living.
1: That's for creepy 45-year-olds.
0: <laughs> it's not exactly appealing to advertisers. So it was the perfect way, by transitioning that content to Patreon, then people can pay for that content instead.
3: Is there a community feeling? Do they respond to you? You know, that you, you certainly make a show for them. And some of them get to even, well... There's a price point at which they can come and watch you do the show live, if
0: I'm... They watch live digitally, so it's like a live Q&A video format. So, yeah, they start to get to know each other, they have a community, and they feel like they know us. It's that access and the intimacy that's so appealing. I mean, if you are a super fan of a musician, or in this case, a reality person, and you feel like you can talk to them directly, that's valuable.
1: What are, I mean, Again, people in this room and people outside in the hall, they're all thinking, Kevin Mayer runs Disney, they're all thinking about how to sell stuff directly to consumers over the Internet. You're doing it. What advice do you have for them?
0: I, try, I was just talking to Jack about this, that a lot of times people take for granted what they have, and we call it ordinary. What I had was so ordinary, just phone numbers. But all of a sudden, it was like, no, those are interviews. Those, that's something that I can monetize. So something that seems unimportant to you, to somebody else, is extraordinary. And so if they can tap into what resources they have, they can make a boatload of dough.
1: Boat that's your
3: new slogan
2: right
0: there. Is, <laughs> that's this,
3: is, is this for everyone, or is this just, you know, you're already a star, you're going to be a star. Is this only for, for stars?
2: So Peter said it really well. We're very specific about the problem that we're solving, right? Because we're we're a small team. We're 110 folks. Um, we have to be very focused about what we do. And uh, the way we, you know, the kind of creator that we are building products for is a creator with a with a, an established following who posts regularly online. That doesn't mean you're a star. Um, we've got some folks who are putting out YouTube videos regularly. You know, they have 20,000 views per video, um, but they have. Two Patreon pages, and they're making fifty thousand bucks a month for doing that. Um, so, you know, they're not a household name by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, but they're building a small business media company now, right? They have fifteen employees, and they're scaling and they're growing, um, and they're they're building something that's really meaningful. Do, do they want to do this as a career, or is this beer money? Oh no! They, they want to do this as a career. Like they, the, everything that they—and they're wonderful business people, right? They're entrepreneurs. Like a, a, everything that they that they make, they're reinvesting and making the content better and building studios. And I mean, now their their production facilities look like sound stages. It's incredible.
1: Is there some rule of thumb that says, well, you, if you want to sell something on Patreon, you've got to have an audience of this many people because you're going to convert this percentage of them. So if you only have this many fans, it's not going to work. Is there some? Algorithms and math some logic there.
2: Yeah, I I I, uh, I would love that model so much <laughs> um, I, I, at the end of the day um, it The 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 leading indicator of what makes a creator really succeed on patreon is how much they love their fans and how much their fans Love them back right if, if there's somebody who who's devoted to their fans and their fans are, are devoted to them and that manifests in you know engagement and comments and likes and all those sort of traditional um, you know measures of value, but um, but ultimately it's, it's, it's difficult to quantify.
1: Is there something about pacing, like you've got to expect that you're going to have to create something on this regular basis? We had Ben Thompson here last year on the stage, and he puts out a newsletter, 10 bucks a month. He's making a lot of money doing it, and he's publishing what, daily, Dan? Most, most days, yeah. Most days, a lot of stuff, a lot of work. Um, does, is that the way you have to do it? Can you do it, how, can you do it once a week, can you do it once a month?
0: It took a minute for me to determine what the audience wanted, whether they wanted interviews with like where are they now type of people or current cast members, things like that. And it took a minute for me to know the pace to put out content, um, whether they like to live interact or whether they just like pre-produce videos, things like that. But as I got going, it became clear and they gave me feedback. and. Patreon provides tools for that, too. You can do polls. And people feel like they can put input into what you're producing, which they like as well.
1: Um, first time I met you last summer at VidCon, I said, this is like a tip jar. YouTube had a tip jar. You get all mad. try tried to choke me. Um, what's, what's the difference between what you do and a tip jar? They seem like the same. I'm really just setting you up, but why are they different? Why, why are these ideas different?
2: Yeah. Um, Tip jars are not important, and they aren't going to... Uh, it, it doesn't feel good to put money in a tip jar. It feels good to be a patron. Um, and there's, there's a big difference in the, in the name, right? I mean, um, you don't drink a milkshake in the morning. You drink a Frappuccino. Um, and, like, it's a different product that serves a different market and resonates with a different audience. So, uh, you know, I think to call it a tip jar is... Uh, you can do that. Um, but then I, I think you're calling a frappuccino a milkshake it's it's not really what it really is
3: Do you now go out and recruit talent are you do you have a team that's actually out there looking for the next generation of creators or are you just providing a service and hoping they find you.
2: Oh yeah, we're absolutely looking for creators and talking to folks and um, usually like strategically because uh, we found that you know if a leading creator launches in a category, a lot of other creators in that category will follow. Um, so we look for leaders in particular categories and work with them and, and build partnerships and have them launch on the platform.
3: And the other end of the funnel uh, for, my, for many internet platforms is you build someone up, they become very successful, and then they're too successful and they leave you for you know, greener pastures, uh, Viners leaving for YouTube, YouTubers leaving for movies and TV. What's the plan to keep those uh, folks in the family?
2: Yeah, so, so far we're lucky. We, like, the graduation problem is not currently a thing for Graduation Patreon.
3: problem, I like that.
2: Yeah, uh, and, and I mean, the reason for that is because, you know, let's say you get really successful on Patreon and, you know, you're making uh, over 100000 bucks a month, right? There are some creators on Patreon that are making over $100,000 a month. Um, so they graduate, go somewhere else. What are they going to do? Turn off a revenue stream that's generating $100,000 a month? Like, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Creators you know, continue to build and iterate on their offerings and, and end up making even more. Um, that, that's not saying that like, creators won't ever leave Patreon. But so far, that hasn't been a problem. In fact, you can correlate stickiness with earnings on Patreon.
1: You guys take a 5% cut? Is that the, that's the fee? That's right. You know where this is going, but but, um, all the smart VCs and investors I talk to say, that's not going to work long term. You can't scale a business big enough to fit into your valuation. You're like 500 million bucks or so. They should have had a higher price point or something. Um, They can't build a really substantial business taking 5% of of each one of Susie's dollars. Um, You guys did a big round. Then it seemed like you were charging more um, to sort of fit into that valuation. You, You backed away from that. Can you explain what happened?
2: Yeah, uh, so oh, there are two sort of components to your question. One is like, how are we going to make it work with 5%? And the second is, what the heck happened with the fees rollout? Um, the fees rollout, I just have to be honest about that. That was our worst product rollout in history. We, we sucked. Uh, we have to do better. Um, that was a really bad product rollout. Um,
1: it seemed like you were trying to charge more money. Yeah. not saying uh, you were charging more money.
2: Yeah, we, we were not. It was not a way for Patreon. Uh, to make more money. There will be things that we will do in the future that will help Patreon make more money. Um, you know, h- Creators are a historically underserved population. And uh, yeah, again, we think of ourselves more of like a SaaS model than we do like a marketplace company. I mean, we can keep building new value for creators. And when we build that value, of course, we're going to charge for it. Right? There are some things that we want to build for creators, like the fulfillment of physical goods. Right? A lot of creators on Patreon are using physical goods as rewards. Um, when we build that, that can't come out of our five percent right we, it, we'd be making negative money so we can't do that so we you know necessarily'll have to figure out new business models as we launch new value for creators um, yeah does that answer your question yeah you did a good job
1: thank you <laughs> uh,
3: Patreons kind of become the brand name for whatever it is you do uh, but there's a lot of similar services starting up. Kickstarter, notably, mm-hmm. is going after this business. There's a clone called Hatreon, which is mm-hmm. for bad people who want Nazis. to do a Patreon. Yep. Uh, how do you maintain your kind of status that way?
2: Yeah. Um, so trust and safety has been a hot topic recently, and even at this conference with you know Logan Paul and Susan and that whole debacle. Um, it's a really tough thing. I, I don't think anybody does trust and safety well, right? It's a new field, and it's a really difficult thing, especially at scale, like at YouTube's and Facebook's scale, right? You have to mix AI and and uh, and humans. And it, in Patreon's case, you know, we're talking about taking away a person's income, right? If you have to take down a page on Patreon, that's removing someone's livelihood. So uh, no one at the companies wants that responsibility or is happy about having that responsibility. And yet we find ourselves in a in a place where. You know, if someone is doing something unsafe or dangerous or illegal or distributing, you know, weapons or bombs or, or you know, something like that, we we obviously can't be sending them money every month. Um, so we have a very thoughtful and thorough process and a and a large trust and safety team and um, and. Uh, you know, we we do, do our best to make sure nobody is using a platform in a way that can would, harm would, people.
1: Would Logan Paul have gotten in trouble on Patreon? He, he, the things that he did in theory to get his money taken away most recently, he tasered a rat. I think the rat might have been dead. Yeah. I was watching the video and he made a joke about the Tide Pod challenge and something else. Um, would, would that get him in trouble on Patreon?
2: So uh, what I like to say in answering trust and safety questions is, sorry, we don't take what-if questions. (laughs) Um, The truth is, like, the the trust and safety documents are so long and so thorough and so rigorous, and for good reason, right? We don't want to overreact and and remove a person's income, that everything is dealt with on a case-by-case basis, and there are humans that make final calls on every removal case. Is Um, there a
1: different bar because... People are, he's only making, if you're on Patreon, people are giving you money, right? Mm -hmm. They're opting in as opposed Mm -hmm. to maybe on YouTube where they're maybe stumbling into something. Has that changed the the way you guys think about it?
2: No, I think it's even more strict uh, on Patreon, right? Because um, your behavior off the platform matters as much as your behavior on the platform at times, right? If you um, are raising money, if you're running a membership business for your flute music, but on the side you're a money launderer, uh, you can't have a Patreon page, um, so um, you know if, if you're a money launderer. Actually, I don't know if you can have a YouTube channel if you're a money launderer. But but we have to. The point is we have to look at behavior off of Patreon as well as behavior on Patreon um, when we're building content policy.
3: Is there a network effect on Patreon, both for creators and also for? patrons what do you call your patrons 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 patrons
2: yeah yeah um, it's funny I, I think we don't really have traditional network effects uh, like uh, other platforms but um, there are there are some things like network effects I think you know the more folks that are on patreon um, because we aggregate payments for example, um, fees go down and so uh, the more folks that are on patreon the more folks that uh, pledge to other creators on patreon the more folks that have multiple pledges um a- in aggregate fees go down for everyone on the platform uh, so there are some sort of uh creator network effects like Do
3: that. most people just patronize one patron sounds weird uh so Support? Give, money I don't to- know. give money to one creator or, or is this the thing where they're now, on average, giving to more than one.
2: Yeah, I'd say by count, most folks are a patron of one creator. But, um, but if you look at it by, by revenue, it's actually you know, a, a big chunk. Over half of our revenue is coming from multi-patrons.
1: Susie, where do you make more money, the free stuff or, or the Patreon stuff?
0: Um, it's about split in half. So our traditional podcast makes a certain amount, and then our Patreon account makes about the same.
1: Do you imagine that's going to continue, or do you think it's going to tip one way or the other?
0: I, I think they both have uh, opportunity to grow. We can always get more uh, people listening to our normal podcast on all the platforms. But the shows that MTV is producing are not going away after all these years, even after you watched them in the uh, 90s. Long time and, ago. And um, people are still ravenous for the content. So we keep growing.
1: MTV doesn't want to, Viacom doesn't want a piece of your business?
0: MTV's a little crabby about yeah. The fact that we are able to do it, but we're not under contract by, under them anymore, and so our interviews with the cast members are completely autonomous, and I love it. It's awesome. Because I get to produce myself.
3: Do you see any uh, imposter independent creators from big companies trying to use the model as, as a funding mechanism?
2: See imposter. Creator?
3: I don't know whatever you would call someone who is actually you know not someone who works with a big company who wants to appear independent or, or trying to use this as a oh okay,
1: there's a version of, of
3: Kickstarter right where well, rich right, famous right. Huge actor with a company or whatever would would uh, yeah. use Kickstarter as a pre-order service or something
2: right right. Um, mm, No, I mean there are, but if if there were, we we wouldn't have a problem with that unless folks were lying to their fan base. But like we have, you know, shows that are on PBS and um, and they have Patreon pages and they're making a ton of money for their individual shows and that's awesome. Um, That's kind of
3: what I was going after, but you described it better.
2: Yeah, I mean we 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 love that, right? We're excited we're excited about that. Um, We want bigger and bigger shows to be launching on Patreon. I think that's a wonderful thing. One of my favorite things about the Internet, I think it's so beautiful is, you know, as an independent video creator, I get the same video upload structure that Taylor Swift gets. That's awesome. <laughs> like, this is the first time in the history of artists that I get the same tools that rich and famous artists get. Um, I'm excited to do that with membership, too. I, I think we could, we could be that for, for uh, the membership and payments layer of the Internet.
1: Great. Should we open this up to the floor? Let's open it to the floor. You guys have questions?
2: Hey, uh, question for Jack. Yesterday, Susan was talking about how she defined community at at, uh, YouTube. Basically, it's interaction between a creator and a fan. And it sounds like Patreon fits into that model really well. And so, I'm just wondering, purely hypothetically, like, how might a service like Patreon work better if it were more deeply integrated with YouTube? Or what might be the reasons that it wouldn't work better. Yeah. Um, So again, I think one of the one of the great things about Patreon is that you can use Patreon to figure out who your super fans are, um, and we give we push CRM to creators. So we tell creators who their patrons are and their current pledge sizes and the LTVs associated with each patron. That's an amazing thing as a creator to go to, you know look through a list of folks that are your fans and to know exactly how much money they've given you over their lifetime. Um, to have that data available on whatever platform you're using to distribute your content, right? If that information is pushed to you on on YouTube and you know now you can sort by LTV of your patrons instead of sorting by number of thumbs up of comments. Um, I think that, that sort of integration could end up being a, a, a game changer for creators, right? They can, they can prioritize um, responding to the fans that matter most to them and to their businesses. So yeah, I think there are a number of ways that, um, that Patreon can play nicely with distributors. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see more of that happening. Thank you. What's
3: the average monthly pledge for across the board?
2: Yeah, uh, so it's a little higher than like Amazon or, or you know, Prime or, or Netflix. It's about twelve bucks a month huh. um, is what the a, a normal patient pays on a regular basis. Are you
1: worried that for both of you guys, and we'll end it here, that as everyone starts selling something and everyone starts putting up a paywall, um, and all the stuff that used to be free now costs money, um, that 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 is going to tap into your potential to get more subscribers? To your potential to get more subscribers?
2: Uh, no, I, I actually think that's going to help. Um, I think the, um, that behavior becoming ubiquitous and expected on the consumer side um, is just going to be a natural phenomenon.
1: But I'm not going to make any more money to redistribute to you guys, right? I'm sorry? I,
2: but I have a limited amount of money to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you might think. I'm not saying you have a. You might think that consumers think, ah, well, I'm going to pledge to a new creator, and therefore I have to reduce my pledge to this other creator by whatever I'm pledging to the new creator. That's actually not what we find on Patreon. The pledges stack and grow linearly. So, uh, you know, the, the number of pledges you have on Patreon is directly correlated with your dollar spend per month. Um, that's at least the behavior that we've seen in the last, you know, four and a half years of the company. So it, it suggests actually the, 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 the opposite, that there isn't some sort of monthly content budget and then I divvy it up in my mind as a consumer, but rather um, that with each new thing that I enjoy and consume and adds value to my life, I have incremental spend.
1: Dan, you've got, a, you've got a side hustle you were writing about on Instagram? You, you got a, a, a travel newsletter coming out? Oh, Points Party, yeah, my yeah. new points you can, newsletter. You use a stage promoter. You gonna put up a paywall there? A no, program? I'm not. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. How about recode? Should we put up a paywall there? We could. We could try. 12 bucks a month? All right, well, you guys <laughs> paid for this conference. We're appreciative of that. Thank you, um, thank you guys for your time. Thank I'll you. Glad you back.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Replay. If you liked it, then make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Decode, Recode Media, and Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. For full coverage of the Code Media Conference, visit recode.net.